Speaking of good or great, shall we talk about 298? Live from the Talking Joe Studios. Breaking out of attack, the Mongol is free. The Mongol of Cobra Island is he. Making good use of the things that he finds. Things like a cloak to cover his behind. Genghis Khan, he can remember the days when he wasn't behind the times. With his map of the world, conquering Asia in the pages of his story. Talking Joe is on the air. Hey, 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 it's me, Mark, the host of Talking Joe, the leading, dedicated, resurrected Mongolian warlord podcast. What was that introduction all about? Well, if you're not from the UK and don't know about the Wombles, maybe you'll never know. If you are new to the show, you can find out all of the details at the website, which is talkingjoe.co.uk. Now, today we will be looking at G.I. Joe, a real American hero, issue 298. Eight, which was released just recently, the 21st of September 2022. Join me, as always, to discuss it. It's a real American, Tim. Hello, Mark, and hello, listeners. Hello, Tim. And we're not doing it alone today. We are joined with a special guest. Now, today we are joined by Jason Murrell, host of the Order of Battle podcast. Welcome, Jason, to the Talking Joe podcast. I appreciate you guys having me. This is awesome. Shall we talk about issue 298? Let's do it. So 298, writer, Larry Hammer, artist, S.L. Gallant, inks, Maria Keane, colors, Jay Brown, letters, Neil Utake, editor, Riley Farmer, group editor, Tom Waltz, and research specialist, Diana Davis. Let's have a look at the covers in the gallery. Going on with the covers, Tim. I'll do these fast since I can spend a long time talking about covers. Cover A, drawn by uh, Shannon uh, Gallant, colored by Jay Brown. Over a yellow sunset sky, we see... Uh, the C1, the Joe C130, and the Joe Stealth, flying from right to left, and very small in the uh, sort of side cockpit window of the C130, we can see Wild Bill, sort of saluting at us. This is this is a really different cover because, like just a few GI Joe comics ever, it's only vehicles. It's not some ninjas fighting or a couple Joes shooting or some Cobras attacking a Joe who's shooting. Two thirds of the cover, maybe half the cover, um, is just sky, just background sky. And I can't quite tell if it's a photo, which I don't like, or Jay Brown is very carefully sort of painting a background sky to look just like a photo. Um, but in terms of comics on the new comics rack at a comic book store, this cover really does stick out, which is good. But what I think is not good about it is that it really just acts like an interior panel. It doesn't ask a question. It's not exciting. 
And I had made this comment recently about some of uh, Gallant's covers. They are they are well drawn, but they don't they don't sort of call out to me as exciting covers. Uh, and so I like this because it's so different, but it's it's not really a cover. It's a strange cover. I, I agree. It's sort of uh, quite unusual. The one of the little little uh, I spies for this cover is that on the wing you have got the GI Joe. Uh, retaliation G.I. Joe logo with the sort of eagle face and star, uh, which is you don't get to see a lot of in the comics. Uh, yes, and probably not the first appearance, but certainly one of the only appearances of that logo in, in this continuity. Uh, cover B is uh, another part of this um, connecting cover drawn by Jamie Sullivan and colored by Raul Angulo and Audrey Sullivan. And uh, this is the uh, this is the the one with Cobra Commander in the center and a bunch of Crimson Guards people, including uh, Laura, although she doesn't have her eye patch yet. A couple different Vipers in the background, Tomax and Zamod in the front, and uh, Destro's Castle in the background. This is a great cover, uh, different body types, lots of subtly different poses. We spoke with Jamie Sullivan recently, and he talked about so the artistic influences he was trying to put into these covers. And I very much see some Herb Trimpey in this Dr. Mindbender face. And uh, before you say Trimpey left the book before Mindbender showed up, Trimpey did draw issue 99. Uh, and uh, standing behind Cobra Commander is uh, a particular uh, Crimson Guards person. It's, it's one of the Freds. There's a weird little thing on the top right of the cover where one of... Um, one of Destro's anti-gravity pods is floating in front of the blue of the G.I. Joe logo stripe. And I do appreciate it when uh, a designer at IDW allows some element of the art to cross in front of the logo. This one reads like a, a mistake. I feel like it's the lines are too thin. Like it, it's, it's not so far back that it could be in front of the castle, but this small, or it's not so far back that it could be in front of the castle, but be this sort of out of focus or its lines could be so thin. This feels like a little copy and paste mistake, but maybe that's because this very faint uh, anti-gravity pod is in front of these very thick black outlines of the GI Joe. Yeah. Uh, it's logo. not on the, it's not on the electronic version that I can see. Aha. Uh -huh. Well, I'm, I'm holding a comic book in my hands. Uh, and uh, if you are watching this on YouTube, then there is definitely a picture of it that I have sent to Mark to put into this, <laughs> uh, into this, uh, uh, help me out guys. Um, behind Fred, there is a Cobra soldier who's in, who's not in blue and has a red logo on his chest. I think Who... that's interrogator, but I'm looking at a small thumb thumbnail of it because I did not bring that cover with me on my travels. It's, uh, I think that's I, the Stinger Driver. The... Doesn't the Stinger does the Stinger Driver have a red logo on his chest? Not a like silver. Gray yeah, he, yes. With red. Okay, all right, Stinger Driver. Cool. Um, and Jamie pointed this out to us as well. In the top left-hand corner, at the top of the turrets, is the mass device partly covered up by the logo. Uh, yes, right next to the H of Hama, you see the giant uh, crystal pointy thing. Um, I also had a, a sort of fact correction from uh, last month. Um, we said that Big Boa didn't appear in, when we were talking about the, the covers, Big Boa didn't appear in the IDW comics interiors. But I've been doing a little uh, reread of, of those issues. And in 219 Cobra World Order, with some other 
Cobra C-listers like Slice and Dice and Cesspool. There's a little gang uh, which includes Big Boa. Hmm. Uh, apologies to our uh, listeners for getting that wrong. And then Cover R.I. Retailer Incentive is drawn by John Royal and Javish Kumar, colored by James O'Frady. What an exciting cover. <laughs> uh, we are looking up at the back open of the Joe C-130. Behind it is a full moon and jumping out at us and starting to zoom down against some speed lines and parting clouds are Snake Eyes, sort of conspicuously version two because of his Uzi and uh, those two grenades and his his visor, uh, Scarlet, and let's say Ripcord. And the cover is all in blue tones. Very exciting. Lots of Lots of energy and sort of speed and movement and sort of covered up by the G of the G.I. Joe logo type. I think Snake Eyes' parachute is starting to unfurl. Yeah, mostly hidden by the logo, but um, in the original art, it's definitely there unfurling. Sorry, who are the two people still in the C-130 who are who are watching it happen? Could be anyone. My, my copy's downstairs, so I'm looking at a JPEG. There's not enough information really say i'm gonna say that's the ghost of <laughs> christmas past i was gonna say the ghost of quinn and the ghost of uh, billy i think uh, i think even john royal probably wouldn't know who those characters were i think they were sort of a few lines to indicate a character rather than anyone specific jason i'd be curious to know what's your approach to collecting covers do you try and get everything just one cover do you try and select a favorite for your pool list I leave that up to my local comic shop. I, I quit being a cover collector years and years ago, but depending on who is pulling for my box, sometimes I get a random cover or sometimes I get all of the covers and I'm kind of good either way. <laughs> okay. So this particular issue, I have two of the three at home. So let's have a look at what actually happens on the inside of the book and before we do so, let's give ourselves a reminder with a plot breakdown. So for a, for a change of vocal, let's have those dulcet tones of Jason giving us the plot breakdown. In G.I. Joe 298, in Dr. Mindbender's lab on Cobra Island, Sean and Dawn are captured twice, and then Sean is secured in the brainwave scanner. Meanwhile, a Fred series Crimson Guard, who may be Wade Collins, turns up at the docks. The Joe rescue team is in the C-130, and they find they have a stowaway, Storm Shadow. They land the plane on Cobra Island once the Joes, already on the ground, secure the landing field with the help of the stealth fighter. Genghis Khan puts on a Serpentor cosplay outfit and lays the smackdown on Cobra Commander, to be continued. We try and start with the positive. So, so let's uh, let's go to Jason first. What did you like? I honestly like Genghis Khan as a whole. It did make me laugh wondering which Alley Viper is running around in his skivvies, or <laughs> who pulled the who pulled the trousers off of a dead Alley Viper so that he could wear pants. My favorite panel or my favorite piece. We'll talk about it later because it's at the end. But in general, I like that they're, it feels like they're building two snake eyes and two issues. And 
everything is sort of servicing that. This issue isn't my favorite out of the story arc. It feels very much like they're wrapping up 297 as they prepare for 299. But it, it, it services well, and I think it really shows the, the competence and the skills of Laura more than pretty much any of the Joes or even Genghis himself. Okay, I, I was just going to say there's that great little sequence with um, with Laura where the, there's the whole bit where the Joes have been captured for the first time and sort of Genghis is on his way out and Laura can tell that it's going south and she goes, uh, before before they even, even escape, she's saying, Toxic Vipers, Alley Vipers, stand by. So sort of preempting the fact that the, that the two snake eyes are going to make their, are going to get loose and are going to need to be subdued. She's really been the best character throughout the last several issues. Jason, a moment ago, you said it feels like they're preparing for Snake Eyes. Do you think the original Snake Eyes who's dead is coming back for 300? Oh, absolutely. Hmm. I've thought that the whole time we've been reading 291 through 298, to me, that it screams it. I think two things. One, I think he's definitely not. I take Hama at his word when he has said in letters page answers and online interviews or convention appearances, no, he's he's dead, but I can tell untold tales of him through flashback. And uh, I don't know, did Hama say this or I, th- I think Hama said this, I want to tell that story where Snake Eyes dies because I won't be doing this forever and I don't want someone else to tell that story. And it reminds me a little bit, uh, if I'm remembering that correctly, when Marvel published Origin, the Wolverine miniseries in, I want to say, late 2002. And uh, as justification for revealing Wolverine's backstory, which had never been revealed, and the idea was that we would never know, editor-in-chief Joe Casada, who has some co-plotting credit on that series, said... I want us to tell that story because if we don't, Hollywood will. And then we'll sort of have to use that. And I, we should be telling it first. And uh, so I feel like with Hama killing off the original Snake Eyes, I think if he was to do, if he was to then bring him back, he he undoes the, the emotional punch that Snake Eyes uh, sacrificed himself for Scarlet and has been gone this whole time. And if he comes back, then Dawn and Sean are much less interesting. Uh, And so I can see how in terms of like moving pieces on the board, it looks like this is where 300 is going. But one, I do take Hama at his word that he's not coming back. And two, I think it's possible that besides this maxim of Hama's that I think Hama is following, I will not bring back the original Snake Eyes. I think a lot of what happens in 300, when Hama's writing 298, he didn't know. So I think I think there's sort of two reasons why uh, Snake Eyes wouldn't come back. I mean, I agree with all that, but he has told the death of Snake Eyes. And with Serpentor, he's able to wholly recreate Serpentor now as Genghis Khan. He could do a similar thing with Snake Eyes where we could see Snake Eyes return, but not blonde-haired, blue-eyed, scarred, snake eyes but a brand new snake eyes because right now you have the abilities in sean and the memories in dawn and everything is leading up to them using the brainwave scanner to rectify that and mindbender has snake eyes on file and he's been tampering with new dna 
I just feel like we will see a snake eyes, but maybe not the snake eyes that we got in 1982 or 1985 or issue 26, 27, et cetera. I think what's more likely is Sean and Dawn are somehow become one person and one of them sort of physically dies. That uh, redundancy is too strong, but that sort of redundancy of these two characters running around who are kind of halves of a character, that gets sort of cleaned up. Uh, yeah. clean, clean up is, is too harsh, but um, uh, simplified. Yeah, it, I don't think it's too harsh. I mean, that's, that is what it is. And it looks like there's a very weird triangle going on where Scarlet feels a bit more intimate with Sean, but then in Sean's letter, he's calling her mom. So it's interesting. And then the very first two pages of this issue is her talking about keeping Snake Eyes alive and and the fact that those two are her only links back to her all but husband, Snake Eyes. So I I don't know where it's going. That's just how I read it. Um, now I'm going to be even more critical of what I'm thinking based on everything you just said. <laughs> so I appreciate that. Uh, that's what makes it fun. The, the sign, yeah. I mean, the signposting is all, all there. It's just Larry doesn't always necessarily give you what you expect to see. So, <laughs> well, even in his a AMA, he said that GI Joe is one continuous forty-year-long retcon. So he can do anything, and it'll be interesting to see where he takes it. I think it would be an interesting way to end 300, but then again, Serpentor is already an interesting way to end 300. Yeah, the question that's more on my mind is, is, is Genghis Khan going to survive issue 300? All right, so I'm, I'm going to jump back and answer Mark's question, which is sort of your overall reaction, say something positive. On page uh, five, panel three, Genghis Khan replies to Dr. Mindbender's request uh, great Khan, can you do something about subduing these Joes, right? And Khan waves him off and walks away and says, I already did that. It is not within my purview to undo the results of incompetent underlings. And Mindbender says, but, but, and that one panel, those, that, the, the exchange of those two panels feels like in some ways sort of the least important thing to happen in the issue and the least exciting thing to happen in the issue that has Gunplay and swords and jumping and gas and a plane landing almost crashing. Uh, I'm not sure. I'm not sure the release order of our episodes, but um, right around now, uh, Talking Joe will be releasing uh, our interview with Larry Hama, and he has said this in other interviews. So this is not a revelation, but I do think he explained it particularly clearly that when he writes, it's character first. He's not coming up with a plot like, hmm, what if I had a story where uh, a Joe is a double agent? Or, hmm, what if I had a story where we see how someone like gets pulled into Cobra? It's like, no, no, no. Like, okay, Stalker. Stalker is this guy I know. What's Stalker going to do if he's uh, stuck in line and they can't take get the plane to take off? Well, Stalker's going to do this. And that informs the story. So Hama's story, his writing, his storytelling is character first. And because I don't write like that, it only intellectually makes sense to me. I couldn't, I couldn't do it. 
I, I would I would immediately shift over into plot first. And these two panels here, this one panel where Genghis Khan says this to Mindbender is such a great example of that. On its surface, it's funny because Khan is leaving Mindbender out to dry. And here's a little sort of surprise joke where the previous issue ended with this sort of surprise that Khan was going to blow himself up with these two grenades if Sean and Don didn't stand down. And that's how this issue picks right up. And so to have them immediately uh, break free and start trashing Cobras, and then Mindbender, very much in character, is a coward and is asking for help. And I feel like if I had written this scene, well, of course Khan is going to sort of push Mindbender aside and like command the Vipers to retake Sean and Dawn now two, three pages later, or do it himself because he's so intimidating and powerful. But it is funnier, surprising, much more interesting, but most importantly of all, fully consistent with his character, this person that Hama knows in his mind. What would Genghis Khan, whoever he's basing him off of, like a person he knows, what would Genghis Khan do in this situation? No, no, no. Mindbender, I already stopped them. You all stop them again. And he just walks out. And that is, that's great. So actually, it's sort of the most interesting thing about this issue to me is this demonstration of Hama's writing process as, a, as an example of what we just talked to him about in another episode. The arrogance of Khan in that moment also allows for Laura to shine even more. It just feels like he he likes Laura a lot. And Hama does, not Khan. Hama does, yes. Yeah, yeah. Because as you noted, like she she was prepared. <laughs> and then Khan just arrogantly is like, nah, I'm done. Moving on. And she takes right back up. I, I've really I really like Laura and I want to go back to where she originates so that I can read more about her uh, since I since I do have a gap in the reading. Mark, what's your opening reaction starting with the good stuff? So so I, I, I'm enjoying the overall story and this pops along at really brisk, a brisk pace. So so the overall experience is enjoyable and we'll, we'll get onto this, but I was really encouraged when uh, we had a character returning who I think is Wade Collins, um, but could you know, possibly not. We'll, we'll talk about that in a second because that was a, a little plot line that, that I thought might be forgotten about. So, so that that list, that sort of thing sometimes irritates me when there's a, there is a sort of dangling plot thread that is kind of left open and not returned to. So that was, um, that was satisfying, but um, uh, more broadly sort of, it felt it felt like like yeah the middle of a story and and sort of slightly less essential stuff happening in this issue we've you know we we've sort of moving characters about on the board to get to where they they need to be for the next part rather than necessarily it being a completely satisfying issue in its own uh, so right. i wonder if we were to reread not just issue 50 or issue 200 in comparing 300 to sort of similar issues. I wonder how we'd feel if we com if we compared 49 to this issue, if we compared 198, 199 to this issue. And Hama doesn't write for, quote, write for the trade. He just writes. Uh, and he is, I think, writing, start, at this point, certainly 298, he's writing a little differently because he knows he's wrapping things up in 300. But I think, A, in a collection, or if you read issues 
you sitting by yourself with this pile of issues. I think this issue sort of in context of the issues around it does move story forward more than just sort of moving pieces around. And also, I really liked that this feels like uh, not a setup for 299 and 300, but I mean, look at the things that, th that this issue accomplishes. Uh, Genghis Khan is now in charge of, of Cobra, right? Maybe there's going to be three pages in the next issue of him sort of more fully doing it because of how he promises this, teases this on the last page of this issue. But in knocking out Cobra Commander, specifically punching him in the face, such that Cobra Commander's uh, uh, face uh, plate has a, has a dent or a crack in it, donning the Serpentor costume and pronouncing that he's now in charge, um, Khan is all but now in charge of Cobra, right? Even if, you know, you, you need to like radio everyone across the globe and Destro hasn't heard about it yet. All of the Joes that we want on Cobra Island are now there. A bunch of favorites, a couple of new guys, and a surprise, right? Storm Shadow. Uh, and then some of the water guys, some of the Navy guys. And we now have concrete evidence from Laura that she's some kind of good guy, that she's some version of renouncing Cobra with this uh, whisper word balloon that she delivers to Sean in the brainwave scanner. Um, so I think even though this issue feels a little bit like a transition issue or a setup issue, to me, a lot happened and it, it is the appetizer before 300, a, a good appetizer. So Tim, you mentioned the, the Laura point, and that's interesting because it's almost like a, a conclusion to what has been building up over, over a number of issues with kind of, you know, each time it had come up, we, we kind of had noted on it. So sort of the, you know, the, the sort of look, look in her eyes in responding to, to Mindbender or sort of muttering under her, her breath. And, and it's kind of the conclusion to, to that where she is now whispering to actually to, to throw down and saying, don't worry, I'll make sure you get away. Just be patient. So, so to us as a reader as well, it's it's now much more clear that you know she she is turning on Cobra and, and you know will eventually somehow be connected to you know the Joes turning this thing around. That was one of my favorite things from the last, not this issue, but the last issue, or maybe the last two, where they continually used the the regeneration tanks to capture that very movie esque feel of everyone's reflection as they're trying to hide their or mask their their emotions from those around them but it's being caught in their own reflections yes very evocative tim there was something else was there something else that you noticed that you wanted to touch on um when we're in the plane we're in the c-130 and molto <clears throat> asks muskrat for something and muskrat says i think we stored it stowed it in the latrine muskrat pulls the curtains back on what looks kind of like a uh a shower stall, but is a bathroom stall. And there's uh, Storm Shadow sitting up on the toilet. It's a great line from Storm Shadow. Uh, yeah, it's uh, awfully dry reading material you have in here. And he's reading a giant manual. And Molto goes, how? Why? And Storm Shadow says, I heard what was going down. And I figured you might need a hand, especially one that's off the books. So two things. One who do we want to show up in issue 300 for the big fight, for the big wrap up, right? The coolest favorite characters. And I can't, Mark will correct me right now. Can't quite remember when we last saw Storm Shadow, but here's Storm Shadow. And 
I'm sure Hama would have found a way in the next issue or 300 to bring him in. You know, he flies in on his own on a commandeered, you know, Cobra Fang or, you know, he took a boat by himself or he was stowed away on the on the whale that we see with Cutter and Shipwreck. Right. But whether we remembered it or not, we definitely want this cool favorite character to show up, particularly if the final issue is very much about Snake Eyes and Scarlet and Sean and Dawn. And also, again, I'm, I turn the page, and this is a funny page turn reveal, right? I don't know about how you experience this digitally, but if you're holding the comic book, it's on the left page. And I chuckled when I see Storm Shadow sitting in the little latrine on the C-130, and I thought, oh, yeah. Like, again, I think we sometimes really believe it and sometimes we don't. Like, Hama makes this up as he goes along. And maybe in the back of his mind, he thought, oh, I need to get Storm Shadow into this story at some point because he should be in the final issue. Uh, but it is entirely possible that Hama, who makes it up as he goes along, on the pre when writing the previous page, right, page seven, with Duke and stalker talking in the c-130 and then we see this establishing shot of the three vehicles in the cargo bay and all the joes checking their their gear uh it is entirely possible that hama didn't know when and how storm shadow was going to show up in this story until page turn he's writing page eight and he thinks oh i, I can have storm shadow having stowed away in the latrine oh i'll have I'll, i need someone to walk back there and and check it out okay molto can ask um, and so as a, I mean, every single page of this comic is a representation of how Hama writes this comic. But sometimes when I'm thinking about his process, a, a scene like this sort of makes a stronger connection. And it's funny. Yeah, another writer, they might have had Storm Shadow's part of the team when they're getting onto the plane and showing everybody getting there ready. If you're making up as you go along, you might realize, oh, yeah, Storm Shadow should be in this story, shouldn't he? Uh, how could we do that? Right. <laughs> and and it's and sorry, one more thing that I, I hope was embedded in what I was saying, but I'll I'll spell it out. Storm Shadow showing up in this way is a very Storm Shadow ninja thing to do. Yeah, yeah. There's nothing wrong with back at base, Duke saying, you know, Molto, long range, Storm Shadow, cover girl, get on the C one thirty. And Storm Shadow's like, Yep, I gotta show up for three hundred. But it is it is more in character, or it is it is in character if the sneaky ninja sneaks himself on. Um, so I was talking before about the scene with the Crimson Guard arriving at the Cobra Casino docks, and uh, I, was, I was talking about this issue with my my brother, who's now put GIG on his pull list as well, and is reading them as as he goes along. And I was going, oh, it's cool that that Wade Collins turned up you know because there was that that a few issues ago there was that moment where he had received a letter from sean and he was a little bit concerned and uh the issue concluded with him saying that he he needed to go and visit sean and we've not seen that for a, for a, a little while i wonder if larry's forgotten about that subplot and oh there he is coming down uh off of the uh off of the cruise liner onto cobra island and so I was saying to yeah my brother, isn't it cool that that he he turned up and he was like oh right that was that was Wade Collins I hadn't actually realised I thought it was just uh, a Crimson Guard. Did you guys sort of come to the same conclusion as me as you were reading it? Absolutely. Yeah. It's it's possible that it could be an entirely a misdirect and it could be somebody it could be another thread altogether. But um, 
I would be surprised if it if it was. Can you re- can you remind us, Mark? Uh, when did we, when did we last see Wade Collins? How it many issues ago? What did he do? Probably around about was it two ninety or so that that Sean was writing a letter home. Uh, oh no, it might be two ninety one actually. Uh, he was it's... writing a letter home, and that he was recounting like a typical scene from life in Fort Wadsworth. And there's a little comedy moment where Mongoose is dropping the the lid of the the vehicle on his thumb and all of that kind of stuff. And yeah, after receiving that letter, Wade decides that uh, yeah he's concerned enough that he needs to pay Sean a visit. I I don't remember the exact issue, but it's one ninety one to one ninety three. It's right there because it ends with Timber walking up and and Wade not sure like if it was Timber the third or Timber the sixteenth. Uh, Sorry, I don't the number. Do you mean 291 to 293? Yes. Okay. You, sorry, you said 191 to 193. Yes, 291 to 293. I'm an unreliable narrator. I apologize. <laughs> <laughs> the, I loved this scene um, because they, they use the panel. They He uses the page turn to show the open briefcase with the old CG costume stored in a suitcase. But... I couldn't help but laugh noticing that the Vipers doing tourist check-in all have grenades on their chests. So they are <laughs> armed and ready, Vipers. When you go to the airport, don't don't TSA... Hmm, I guess TSA members don't... They grenades. don't have weapons in America. They, they just have uh, uniforms. Anyway. I'll lay down a bet they don't have grenades. Uh, they don't yeah. uh, here's a question for the two of you, since you are remembering Wade Collins' previous appearance better than me. Is the woman behind him with brown hair and a sort of lime green overcoat or shirt, is that someone? Or is that just the next person disembarking? I I suspect, I strongly suspect that it's meant to be either um, Wade Collins' wife or daughter who have featured in the comic. Okay. So his daughter is Heather, who was a hacker. Um, yeah, I mean, the fact that, that they sort of conspicuously showing this same character at three different points as they're disembarking and waiting behind Wade makes me think that it's probably meant to be somebody, but there's it's a ch- also a chance that it's not. I just took it as a random person because she fades away in the last three panels of that page, but I didn't know about Heather, so... Was Wade in Wade was in Snake Hunt, right? Wade was, wasn't he? Yes. I, I feel I like so. there was a scene where was it at the beginning of Snake Hunt where Wade says we have to get involved and he's talking to his wife? Maybe I'm maybe I'm just misremembering. Uh I I do think that this is someone in particular, and I do think it is Wade's wife or daughter. So if it's Wade's wife, this is Sean's mom. And if it's Wade's daughter, this is Sean's sister, right? Should the facial recognition have picked that up though? Um, or is that a well, potentially uh, a miss? I mean, the Viper says all the records were destroyed when Broca Beach got trashed. So I think, I think Hama is giving himself an out for mm. how someone can sneak in or someone else can sneak in. I mean, you know, the, in the previous issue, Cobra Commander says, "Why are there all jo- why are there Joes in my casino floor?" <laughs> so, you know, they Cobra is only doing so good of a job uh, here. I did like the panel of of the Joes walking through and just saying hi to the Cobra commander as if it was, you know, any given Tuesday. 
the the other subplot here is that we've got a, the continuing story of the uh, blue ninjas ongoing. So is it Alpha Zero Zero One, or I, I I lose track. But um, who, whichever Zero Zero One it is, uh, is is watching Genghis Khan on the monitor. And it's, it seems to be trig- triggering a visual, you know, as you were talking before about facial recognition program flagging somebody. It seems to be flagging for him uh, a photo of Genghis Khan, which uh, is somewhat strange, given <laughs> he died some time before <laughs> photography was invented. I'm okay, I'm okay with that because there are those, uh, you know, there's those museums where they'll scan a mummy and... Uh, and it's this, you know, this is what this person actually looked like because we've, you know, run this skull of a mummy through our MRI or something. I, I don't want to leave the get... point. It's it's fine. I'll give that a pass. But um, yeah, it's uh, we're sort of touching base with them and uh, and he's signaling that uh, he's still uh, a key part of the story. I want that technology. Uh, a detail that I like about that page is that uh, at Revanche Base, we have all of these different views of Genghis Khan walking in the first panel and the third panel, which speaks to all of these either infiltrated bats that are revenge bats or just tapping into the security camera. That that feels like a, a thoughtful line included in the plot that Shannon Gallant picks up on. You know, this, this, this views from slightly above, this views from across the room, this views also from slightly above, but straight on. And for those of us who are Less interested in the revenge subplot, one page out of this issue feels like a good amount of real estate. And I am interested in what I see as a convergence in 300 of Joe and Cobra and Blue Ninjas on Cobra Island. And I have a guess that if this series, when this series continues after 300, I have a guess that the Blue Ninjas are not coming back. Hmm. I would be happy with that. The, reading this whole arc, I I kept all of my notes about the revenge throughout, you know, 291 to current, was that if you just took them out, just excised them from the story, it would take very little tweaking to have the exact same story. Like, I don't, they don't feel like they give anything to this storyline whatsoever. Well, until we get to 300, where surely it will converge. And Surely. having a third faction in a Larry Hama story is something that I'm always interested in. You know, like you think of some Joe and Cobra fight, but there's also the October Guard, or there's also Zartan and the Dreadnoughts, or there's also Destro, or there's also artificial intelligence based in New Jersey that uh, has ninja. So yes, you, you could take these, you could probably take these pages out of the last bunch of issues and the issues themselves would be about the same. But I think this does set up a lot of potential for 300. And, and you know, if you really don't like these characters and this story, there's a, like a version of 300 in your mind, which is much more sort of pure or straightforward. It's just Joe and Cobra. You know, like, I don't, I don't think Zartan's going to show up in 300 and, and sort of surprise us, uh, maybe. But <laughs> I am, you know, in terms of just picking a third faction, right? But I, I am, I am, I am willing to give Hama the rope to build a beautiful rope sculpture or hang himself <laughs> with this, what I think might be like one last go uh, with, with the blue ninjas where the stakes are high. Cause it's, cause it's the final issue and it's, you know, this big fight on Cobra Island. 
Will Will Zartan give up the opportunity to kill Serpentor for, for one one last time though? Yeah, but I mean, Zartan wasn't involved the last time Serpentor died. So while yes, you are referring to a key scene in the Marvel run. I mean, wouldn't wouldn't an equally weighted question be? Will Sean or Don grab Genghis Khan and like take him off a cliff? And then, Z- and then Zartan shoots them both. Without- <laughs> <laughs> I like, I, I I like the idea of the third faction as well. I, uh, you know, reading this, I just see Serpentor versus Cobra Commander as a third faction. But as you mm. noted at the end of this book, Cobra Commander is taken off that off that board very quickly, very decisively. Although. Who knows who will come to his rescue? Uh, I, I, I think, I think the setup here is Genghis Khan versus Alpha Zero Zero One for three hundred, because I, I don't think the Joes are. I think the Joes, there's a chance that they're outclassed when it comes to taking out the Blue Ninja, because when they first fought them, you know, it was really, really hard to to shoot one, and they kept learning, and then in the artificial intelligence arc. Destro and the Baroness had some trouble taking them out, but it, it has gotten easier each time we've seen them recently. Mark and I have have referred to this. And so what what's the new wrinkle? You know, it's like, well, this time we've got a slightly different variety of Joes and they're in a different place. They're in a casino. You know, it's like I don't I don't expect like mainframe to show up and say, like, I've come up with a with a a virus. If we can just plug it into the slot machines, it'll take out Alpha <laughs> Zero Zero One. It's like, no, what's the what's the sort of new combination here? Or you know, Cobra Commander says, Duke, help me take this guy off the board. And maybe he means Genghis Khan. Maybe he means uh, a blue ninja. Yeah. Um, I just want to point out, uh, it's, it's it's sort of a recurring feature. Uh, maybe, Mark, maybe you can make a jingle. I got 20 pages or so. I got 20 pages or so. If you like comic books, come and let me know. When we're reading G.I. Joe, you've lost two pages. Yo, Joe, you've lost two pages. Oh, no. If you like comic books, come and let me know. When we're reading G.I. Joe, you lost two pages. Yo, Joe, you lost two pages. Oh, no. So if you like Joe, come and let me know. We've got 20 pages before I go. 21 pages. 21 pages. Tim wants 22 pages, but he's only getting 20. Really, we're only getting 18. This issue only has 18 pages? No, the first two are a previously on. Um, the first two pages are a callback to the last issue. They're a retread of the last issue. Oh, um, yeah, but it, it is it is sort of the next moment. Sure, but, but it's but it's it's a retread of of the last moment because he's already said mm-hmm. it the in at the end of 297. I you know and and you called it out on on your last issue about or on your last episode about 297 is one of your favorite parts of dialogue of you know why would I be as scared of the of of the dark sleep I've already done that for 800 years mindbender will bring me back and then in this and scarlet was also questioned where are the ninjas at mm. the end of at the end of 297 so the first page is where are the ninjas she's questioned again I do find it funny that after all of Ninja Force, all of the 130s and 140s, she's still not considered a ninja. Um, <laughs> but, and then on the next page is him with uh, three bubbles saying the same thing he said so eloquently in the last page of the last issue. Hmm. So to me, these two pages felt like like I was robbed two pages of this story, which is also part of what helped me help make me feel to me 
more of a a bridge between than its own story. Although, you know, you've pointed out quite a bit of movie mechanics in this story that that are all there, but that's part of why it, to me it felt very uh, bridge between versus its own thing. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the things that I absolutely adore in Gallant's artwork throughout this book is how non-superhero and how very human a lot of the movements are, whether it's uh, and uh, and completely unnecessary uh, in terms of what you would get in most comics, like just the way Laura, she's not over gesturing. She just has one hand up when she says, you know, Toxo Vipers and Alley Vipers stand by or Snake Eyes dodging, you know, the Viper who's trying to hit him with the butt of the rifle. Um, or when the Toxo Vipers are tossing the smoke grenades, it's all very, it, I, I like that style of artwork where you're taking it out of the superhero realm and, and very, it's very grounded looking, which is part of what I was mentioning earlier about my favorite part of this whole, like my favorite panel in this whole book. Um, and you you already mentioned where Cobra Commander's faceplate is broken. His left hand says more to his state of being than the whole page. And I just, I love that detail of Galance to capture human fluidity and tell the story through that. Yeah, one of my notes is great body language on Dr. Mindbender, page two, panel one, page five, panels two, three, and four. Mindbender is scared and weak in those four panels. And his acting in all four of them is different from each other's, right? So you're not, Gallant's not repeating stock poses. He's he's changing quote camera angles and he's modulating people's sort of levels of uh, of energy maybe a lot of x-men comics or like superman comics where someone has powers on a much higher scale maybe a lot of scenes don't require or suggest sort of you know sensitive i mean look at everyone everyone look at look at the first panel of page three where genghis khan is handing these two grenades back right look at the 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 care and sensitivity of all six of those hands. You know, that's not just a process. Like, how do you actually draw? I mean, there there are artists who draw very flashy, exciting, hot comics who wouldn't draw these hands as, as particularly. And there's some tension in what the two Vipers are doing. And there is not tension in how Khan's hands are splayed up. Sort of a, a lightness to them. He's handed them off, these two grenades. Um, my uh, getting back to this jingle that uh, Mark, I hope, was writing in his mind in the last three minutes. On uh, page 16, uh, the C-130 lands. And I feel like on the previous page, a lot of attention is paid to how rough and abbreviated and scary and dangerous this landing is going to be of a very big cargo jet with a lot of momentum. And and then uh, Gung Ho yells, Dag, that uh, that wild bill sure cut it close. And Roadblock just sort of wraps it up. And I feel like we skipped a panel or a page where Roadblock says, yeah, but he did it. And I don't really need a couple panels of the plane landing roughly and sort of screeching to a halt. And we cut back to, 
you know, muskrat and molto like bouncing around even more on the inside or, you know, whatever it is. But I do feel like if if this was a Marvel issue 15 years ago that where the seri- where the story went 22 pages and not an IDW issue now, which runs 20 pages, I do feel like this is a place where the story might have breathed a little bit more. And I feel like the the momentum, ha, ha, not just the physical, <laughs> not just the physical momentum, but the sort of emotional momentum, momentum of reading about this plane that seems like it's going to kind of crash, but not really. And I feel like, you know, with a little bit more real estate, Hama might have called for, Gallant might have drawn an angle where we're up in the air, 50 feet or 200 feet. We're looking down at this very short runway, which we haven't actually been able to see. We never look down at it. So I don't actually know quite where it is, how long it is. And I get a slightly better sense of how little space the C-130 does have to land and if it's in danger of, you know, running into the brush or a building or something. Yeah, I don't know if that falls into I Spy or not, but the first panel uh, where we cut back to Cutter and Shipwreck, it looks like they landed it on 15 foot of shoreline when when uh, Cutter's looking through his... Um, yeah, the POV shot scope. through the binoculars. Yeah. I'm I'm going to count that as uh, uh, I'm going to count that as the C-130 landed off panel to the left and went sort of straight in profile, Taxied and then in. Tur- turned a little bit to the left to to show us the rear of the of the plane as we see it. That whole sequence, I I loved what you just talked about with with the acting of it's going to be rough, but I also loved if you look at the last panel with the imp. And all the Vipers trying to load up the uh, the missiles and the first panel of the next page where, you know, you see the you see the rat a tat tat and the and the bullets hitting the ground and they're moving out of the way or getting shot out of the way. I love those little bits kind of as we were already talking about with his character acting. This is his scene acting. I like that better than the action. I actually don't like the action of this sequence. Two Mambas take off, immediately are gone. And that first panel, it looks like a smoke trail from a from a missile, but all the all the Joes are carrying automatic weapons and no one's carrying the like an RPG. So I like the roughness and I like the the scene acting that Gallant put into into those details more than I actually like the action of those scenes. I think I can explain the that the missile that takes out the missile that takes out the asp. Yeah, so we've got the rat tat tat tat, um, and that's the Marduk sort of laying down a trail of bullets. And on the right, there's a, a smoke trail and a, a badoom. And I believe that that is meant to be Gung Ho, who's got a rocket. Oh, an, uh, an, what's an the right under term? And over. Yeah, an, an, uh, a, a bloop gun, an under and over. In my mind, that's that's what that was. We've also got we've also got the stealth jet still in the sky, so there's a chance that, that possibly that, that that's still doing some, doing some damage. Yeah, I do think I do think directionally this smoke trail and the Badoom is coming from inland and not from out to sea where the two planes are coming from. But yes, the stealth could go faster than the C one thirty, and maybe it swooped around. There's the no prize. Yes, uh, the no prize, uh, Jason, is that Ghost Rider flew his flaming motorcycle uh, around into the interior of the island and came back over the Joes like Scarlet and took out the Asp from behind it. Even without that no prize, the gung-ho rocket. Correct. Makes sense, right? Yeah. 
I do find the imp to be an interesting choice here because the imps, I don't know if you guys have imp, have an imp in your toy collection, but all of the yellow in the middle of those missiles are mines. So the imp is meant to fire this missile and it drops all the mines, carpet bombing, right? And instead they're using it to fire at a C-130. So I find that interesting. I find it neat because you don't see the imp very often. Nobody beats the it's the Cobra Imp. Cobra Imp's a tower rocket power. The rockets separate the late down anti-vehicle mines. That's why the imp's so important to Cobra. And nobody beats the a real American hero. Flopmasher, Cobra Imp, and figure sold separately. Chow, chow. But those those missiles have a specific use that is not happening here. That could just be me nitpicking, and I'm not. I just no, no, no. I I thought the same thing, and I feel like what this scene wants. I I love seeing the imps. I think what the scene wants, rather than the imps, is a couple cobra adders. If it's going to be a later vehicle that shoots things, yes. So uh, we're getting into ice spy territory here. Hmm. <laughs> I spy with my little eye. And the Cobra Imp was one of my specific I spies. And one of my even more specific I spies was in the dialogue. They say, roll out the uh, AAA converted Imp. Uh, so AAA meaning anti-aircraft artillery. And it has to be converted because the original missiles disperse those 24 landmines. So Hama, Hama took care of this. Took care of it, yeah. It's done. There you go. So the, the landmines are either something different or they're not armed. I have a laterally related iSpy, which is uh, on in these two pa- panels we're referring to, page 15, panel 4, and page 16, panel 1. There's this small, tracked, blue Cobra construction vehicle which uh, has a crane, and it is being used to lift up and mount missiles on the imps. And this feels like Hama, you know, in the same way that Hama and then, was it Michael Golden, who who first drew the Aspid, the big Cobra cargo helicopter? Does that first appear in yearbook too? Anyway, I'm sure someone will let me know. Yeah, yeah, it Um, does, yeah. But, you know, as, as much as I only want the vehicles that were made into toys to make appearances and I don't want some generic army jeep, it's like, no, 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 use, use, a, use a vamp, right? This is a fun little bit because that is the kind of thing that would be somewhere on Cobra Island and maybe it would be back in, you know, the garage or the motor pool. But, you know, this will, some, some, some people are going to turn this into a custom for dioramas at conventions and uh, it's a fun just little extra bit of, of business. Uh, I had another I spy. So in the same sequence, we've seen the worms as the pilots or the gunners of the imps and also in the asps. So we don't get to see, um, we don't get to see these characters very often. So it's nice to see them crop up and I guess related to their specialities. As- yes. And if I can add a detail that I think you're implying, the asp and the imps did not come with drivers and so if you're going to put someone in them it could be just sort of any cobra viper but yes here's one here's a cobra viper who who would have some of that training um i have a i have an uh there's an i spy that 
Jason referred to already, which is, uh, but I just want to call it out. Page six, panel one, we see the alley viper who's missing his pants. We see the alley viper who uh, donated inadvertently or not uh, posthumously, we think, unless he's just unconscious uh, and he's wearing uh, boxer shorts that Genghis Khan is wearing. Uh, yeah, it's red polka dots. Yeah. I can also imagine going back to our previous point, I can uh, I can imagine Hama not necessarily calling out who is driving, uh, piloting the these two Cobra vehicles and uh, either artist Shannon Gallant coming up with the characters or uh, research uh, specialist Diana Davis saying, hey, how about these guys? I have another I Spy on page three. We have a 1986 Cobra, Cobra Viper, and he's not Caucasian. He's a person of color, which is uh, rare. We see it in the toy line, right? Not just uh, Hasbro toys, but also the, the Super 7 reaction G.I. Joe figures. But, uh, and, you know, we saw it in one episode, maybe two, of the Sunbow series. Um, but uh, here we have a Viper who's not a white guy. Um, I had one more which you had touched on before that uh, in the C-130 uh, Storm Shadow is reading this uh, this manual which looks like it's got post-its stuck out the side of it uh, keeping place uh, and in the small print it says Army TM5-685 and that relates to a technical manual for operation maintenance and repair of auxiliary generators. I I like yours better and I I think you're right. I I saw those characters a little differently. I thought I saw what what six characters did you see? Say that uh, again. I said TM5685. Okay, I I thought what I saw was IMS GBS. I thought the same thing, Tim. And so when I looked that up, like I looked up GBS because I saw I saw the same thing. So I think Mark outclassed us both on this one. But uh, uh, GBS appears to be an army acronym for Global Broadcast Ser- Service. Uh, provides real-time situational awareness to commanders and soldiers. Uh, although I don't know if that's the, Mark might be right that you know the the GBS might not be a thing that gets a, a giant instruction manual like this. It might be not a piece of equipment, but a. anyway, and then it could um, be either because IMS is for Integrated Management System, so. It it still works, but I like marks better. Yeah. Uh, I, either way, what we are reacting to here is uh, Hama inserting this joke that Storm Shadow is reading this long, boring technical book. I have two more I spies on the following page. Two Cobra cruise ships have um have uh showed up and are disembarking. This is where we see this. Uh, uh, Fred, Fred series Crimson Guardsmen, and the two ships have names on them, uh, and one of them is Wakataka Kage, or Wakataka Kage, and the other is Naja Queen, and uh, Wakataka Kage appears to be the name of a sumo wrestler, <laughs> and uh, Naja Queen. I'm I'm not finding anything that that to me feels like a uh, a specific reference. Yeah, the Nudge Queen was the is the name of the ship that was first there. So, so it's the same ship oh. that we saw previously. So we've just got a second ship arriving, and uh, Nudge means cobra, I believe. Oh, right. Okay, thank you. Yes, 
And uh, I had one last, I had one last uh, I spy, which might be an error detected. So I'll. I've got uh, I've got an error detected, which I wonder if it's the same one. Error detected. Error detected. No prize incoming. Uh, you go. So last issue, Tim, we talked about an error detected, and that was that the vehicles in the C-130 had changed since we saw them rolling onto a transport plane, um, and that was that uh, originally uh, a VAMP version 1 was rolling on, and uh, then in flight uh, the it changed to a, a version 2 with the, with the missiles and uh, and so and now it's a tiger sting. <laughs> They've once again changed their mind. It's back to a, a V one. So they decided that maybe they had what with it being the Wolverine and stuff. Maybe they've got too many missiles, and uh, they don't need to to have that. So they've they've switched out the uh, the missile emplacement for a gun emplacement. But the really clever thing that they have done is they have changed the order of the vehicles so that uh, it's now uh, Vamp, Wolverine, Hammer, where previously it was Hammer, Wolverine, Vamp, which midair, it's no mean feat to do. Was this um, Gallant drew two issues ago when they were loading up and Griffith drew the last issue? That's right. Okay, some of this is coordinating with with a, a changing team. But I think Griffith did draw them on in the order that they went in. in, in, in at least in terms of the order of the vehicles, Griffith was right. Right. Um, my uh, error detected uh, is both on page one and a later page, and I think it's less an error and more a decision. Uh, Gung Ho has no tattoo. Oh. And we this has come up before, and you know certainly toy collectors know. Something different is appearing on his chest when he's a, uh, a classified figure. So less an error and more a, a decision. I would I would prefer that some people put their heads together and and decide on a substitute. Maybe it could just be uh, the you know the GI Joe retaliation logo with the eagle and the star, or maybe it could be just the globe half of the marine logo, or it could just be uh an eagle or you know a fist whatever but I, i'd rather there be something than than nothing uh, but as far as uh decisions or errors go this this one did not this one did not bother me i just i i did notice it i was just having a little look at some earlier issues and it looks like this isn't a new phenomenon but uh often his chest was covered up by things being in the way so uh, good spot um, I had one last uh, error detected on pa- a panel I've already referred to on page three when Genghis Khan so calmly hands two live grenades back to two 1986 Vipers. He says, Techno Vipers, resecure these infernal devices, please. And I thought when reading it, well, maybe they're going to hand them over to some Techno Vipers or maybe because he just got resurrected and downloaded all this stuff from Dr. Mindbender, he does, he's making a mistake. And then I thought, no, this feels like a small error where the, the script doesn't quite match the art and no one caught it. And that's fine. Cause there aren't, there aren't the, it looks like there's only one techno Viper in the scene. Yeah. Jeffrey. <laughs> <laughs> is it, is it an error on 
in the first two panels of page 12 that the blackjack uh, dealer is blonde because in everything else they've all had black hair we haven't seen a single non-robot non-black haired woman working in the casino until this one panel i also find it weird that she's asking cover commander if he wants (laughs) you know a hit when he's not playing and he's the boss but just the blonde hair threw me off i think uh when when gallants and and uh keen draw these women who have dark hair don't they tend to ink it sort of all the way black i think by leaving it open that is telling jay brown the colorist and us that this is a different person who does not have black hair so i think that may be i think that's a decision it feels like a decision because the face is also different it doesn't have uh more of that that hard angular face to her she's she's a little more full-faced but it's the only non-black-haired uh, mm. casino worker that we've seen in these last seven issues. Um, the, I was going to say, ostensibly, they're meant to pass as, as human. So you would want there to be a variety of different types, you know, so that people don't think that they are just robots or clones. There used to be a pudding that was over-egged. You know the pudding. You know the pudding. At first it was British, but then it was Commonwealth. You know the pudding. You know the pudding. But now there's a new player in town. A comic book writer of of some renown. He's using real world examples and peppering the issues with with lots of samples. It's a Larry Hammer colloquialism. He's talking G.I. Joe and all its heroism. Can you guess what it is? Is it something new? Now listen as Larry drops a slice of real life on you. Um, I had a colloquialism, two in fact. I had uh, one which was, while Bill saying, talking about maneuvering the plane through the missiles, he says, we're about to execute a combined tactical landing with extreme jinking and weaving. Uh, Jinking is is a great little term. I don't hear it very often, not nearly enough. Jink means to move quickly or unexpectedly with sudden turns and shifts. Is, Is that a word that either of you two would ever use in general parlance? I would not. I I know of the word jinky, which is for something that, <laughs> from Scooby Doo. Uh, no, that's jinkies. That's a, that's a noun. Uh, Plural of jinkies. Uh, jinky is a jinky. is an adjective for something that's um, not working or irregular. Mm. Or is that janky? Janky. That's janky. That's janky. Uh, maybe maybe janky is mm. not a word. That sentence was a bit janky. My second colloquialism was where I think it's Cutter as he's looking through his monoculars. He says the Herky bird is on the tarmac. So he is referring to the Lockheed C-130 Hercules. Hercules shortened to Herky bird. Going back um, to two pages earlier, uh, Mark, uh, the panel where the C-130 has a glowing red burst from behind it. Uh, the, those mm. two words jump out at you or one of them. Fencing flares and chaff. Yeah, just mili- military jargon stuff. I mean, we know what flares are, but I feel like chaff... Uh, doesn't get mentioned often or ever in G.I. Joe comics. I feel like I've heard it before, uh, but maybe that's just from playing air simulators or something. Chaff is like, the flares, I guess, is the light and heat, and chaff is like a substance to interfere physically Mm. with uh, rockets. 
I just want to go back to one, since we keep saying uh, S.L. Gallant draws such good acting and clear action uh, in his comics. Uh, I just want to point out, we haven't said it this issue, but he's probably working against a rough deadline for this third to last issue of G.I. Joe. And, you know, maybe there's a little less detail in this issue than some of his other issues, but it it doesn't it doesn't look like there are a lot of compromises, and and I appreciate that. And um, on that same page where the C one thirty is launching flares as well as chaff, on the lowest panel, uh, where we see a little bit of the asp and this construction vehicle, and then the uh, imp. Uh, I just want to point out the asp is really hard to draw because it's it's I mean all GI Joe vehicles are, but it the asp is. It's some weird overlapping shapes. It's sort of like a car, sort of like a tank, a Jeep. And Gallant smartly crops out two thirds of it. And yet there's enough of it there that we know what it is, even if it's not uh, identified. And that is, that's a smart decision. You know, like an artist who can draw fast is valuable. An artist who can draw well is valuable. An artist who can turn in a really good comic on a rough deadline, even if they see a bunch of compromises, well, you know, this panel didn't have as much detail or, you know, I did, I had to put some characters or backgrounds in silhouettes uh, or, or drop them out. You know, it reminds me of that panel in issue 21 that Larry Hama will point to when he's referring to the storytelling in issue 21. It's the panel where Destro is leading a bunch of Cobra soldiers up the stairs and Hama will say, there are very few full figured characters in this panel. It's a lot of just heads, and that's on purpose because it was much faster and easier to draw. Yeah, I mean, he's still he's still drawing one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine different characters in that one panel. So it's not like he's skimping too much. Right, right. But it's it's a it makes for an interesting yeah, composition to crop out some of the asp. And I feel like whether he's doing it consciously or not, it is a smart decision to crop out some of that asp and a time saver. And, and you know, a, an artist like him who's on a deadline, who's drawing this book a lot, I think there are dozens of that kind of decision happening throughout every issue that and we sort of don't even notice it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I didn't call it out, but but definitely this, this issue feels a lot looser. One last I spy on the next page in the C-130 after it has landed and the Joes are waving at it. Wild Bill's window, his cockpit window, must be able to open all the way because he's... He's waving out of it. Hmm. I did Google that. Can cockpit windows open <laughs> during flight? Because it, it struck me as a bit weird. And the generally, when the aircraft is not pressurized, so when it's either on the ground or if depressurized during a flight, then pilots can open them. Here's, here's another, man, if we'd had two more pages, I feel like... Wild Bill, for the benefit of us readers, would have said to Duke, he would, <laughs> would have there would have been three that. panels where Wild Bill says, Duke, I'm going to signal to the Joes on the ground what a great job they did by uh, taking out that uh, asp from behind. Let me show you how I unlock and unbolt this cockpit window and it swings to the inside so that I can reach out to wave to them. Duke would say something like, that's great, Wild Bill. And then you and I and a guest would talk about it on an episode. <laughs> if only we'd had two more pages. Uh, did we have a f- favorite line of dialogue? Quote of the week, quote of the week. Quote of the week, quote of the week. Quote of the week, quote of the week. Quote of the week. 
Uh, for me, it was Serpentor. He's broken the glass on the old Serpentor uniform, which I found hilarious that Cobra Commander would put one of his enemies' uniforms on display in his casino, uh, <laughs> or that he would even allow Mindbender anywhere near a laboratory without one of those like running man explosive necklaces around his neck. <laughs> but anyway, so he's broken that, he's pulled the helmet out, and he's already ignored Commander all the way through the casino. Commander has yelled one more time at him and he just says, Your sniveling voice is beginning to annoy me. And I love that line. It's it's arrogant, it's superior. It is then, you know, the next time you see them, he is dragging Cobra Commander behind him. And that so that is for me my favorite line of of the book. I like the um I like the reaction that Serpentor has when he sees the arm. Aya, a y a a a. Sorry, uh, going going back to this, uh, Jason pointing out the the Serpentor costume earlier. Mark, you called it cos a cosplay costume. Do you, Mark, <laughs> do you think that it is like a sort of an amateurish replica? Do you think it is a replica? Do you think it is the Serpentor uniform? Uh, I think it's, uh, if not the original, I think it's a, prof- a professionally made <laughs> uniform. It was a tongue-in-cheek uh, description of the cost of because the uh, I was I always go back to that uh, Serpentor corpse with ice cubes in I think it's issue ninety that Serpentor was sort of put on ice or buried or stored in his costume, and then I can't remember uh, doesn't he come out of the tank naked in like two eleven or yeah. uh, so presumably that's a new one made to look like the old one. You know, if you if you think of uh, restaurants like Planet Hollywood, uh, restaurant you know novelty restaurant chains like Planet Hollywood, it it is I think supposed to be the actual movie props that are on display, and so I can imagine on, in this Cobra Casino, it's the actual. Well, I'm giving I'm thinking about this too hard, right? It it just it's it, it is a it is a sort of smart and convenient <laughs> prop right there, so that we can get Genghis Khan into the uniform we want to see him in. And if it wasn't here, then, you know, Dr. Beinbender would have said something like, oh, it's in the lab. You know, I'm ready. It's ready when you want to put it on. Uh, sorry, Mark, what's your what's your line? I, I didn't have a uh, separate line beyond anything we've already spoken about. Genghis Khan has given himself a new name, Serpentor Khan. And uh, I, I anticipate action figure customs where it is a, a, a familiar Serpentor from the neck down and a uh, customized uh, Serpentor head with particular hair. I think we're probably pretty much done with this one. Uh, I think it just remains to give it a Yo-Jo score. Yo-Jo Cola Nut Grape Soda It's Yo-Jo-Age Time! Jason, as I guess, why don't you go first? We don't have any sort of benchmark against how you would normally score things. So <laughs> have a way. I'm awful at scoring things. Um, 11 teen, 12 teen. 11 teen, yes. For me, it's, it's, it's a good middle of the road. You know, as we've pointed out, all the set pieces that got moved around for the, for the final part of this chess game. But also it's... It's just a bridge between between parts of stories. So I don't know. It's middle of the road for me, but I do enjoy it. And I am looking forward to the next two issues. 
I think Jason just pretty much said everything that, that I would say. So something like a six. Uh, I give this a six, but uh, not not a, not a bad six, a good six. <laughs> One of those good sixes, not the rubbish sixes. Uh, sometimes I give something a six because I, I can't give it a seven. And anyway, that's I don't know that I can explain this anymore. It's a six. I think, you know, sort of as we're wrapping up, one of the things that I've really enjoyed about Talking Joes is that as I haven't been reading the comics in the last 60 or so issues, you guys do such an incredible job of tearing it apart uh, all the way to soup to nuts, the good, the bad, the ugly, the beautiful, uh, that I'm able to keep up even though I'm not reading. And I do appreciate that about what you guys are doing. Thanks. And it would only take you 15 minutes to read each issue. <laughs> gonna say you you know it listening to the podcast does take more time yes what a what a gift of your time <laughs> i'm clearly not good at time management we know that i'm not good at time management because i started a podcast <laughs> uh, i uh it's uh tom waltz and um and riley farmer you got two chances left for a letters page it would i'm sure your readers would appreciate it Okay, so I think that is pretty much us done. We will continue our coverage of the ARAR issues as they come out with issue 299, all in part four, which is due out on the 19th of October as the countdown to issue 300 continues. We also have a big interview with larry hammer which has either just come out or will come out next week depending on how i edit these things together um so that's uh, very exciting as well if you've not listened to that uh, please do check it out so uh, jason as a reminder where can people find you it's spotty but i am active on facebook in you know the larger joe groups but Every other week we're doing Order of Battle podcast. You can find it on Audio Boom or I don't know wherever you do your wherever you do podcasts. I manage the Twitter. I'm not really managing the Order of Battle on Instagram. Joel is. So if you reach out to if you email us at Order of Battle Pod at Gmail or you reach out to us on Instagram, you'll get Joel. If you reach out to us on Twitter, you will get me. It's Tim, where can people find you when you're not talking to me? Video essays at uh, YouTube, Atomic Abe Productions. I write about G.I. Joe at my blog, realamericanbook.com, and my brick-and-mortar comic book store in Somerville, Massachusetts is Hub Comics. Excellent stuff. So <laughs> I know what's coming up. So I think that is us done. But till then, remember that nobody beats Talking Joe, an international podcast. Laters.